Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. It's pie and vaccination day. It's pie and vaccination day. One four one five nine two something 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 something. It's just a reason for people across the world to eat pie it's without an guilt. To eat pie, yeah. <laughs> so we did. It's um, one of my favorite little bits to come from Third Rock from the Sun. Is at one point Dick is learning about uh, cheerleaders, basically, uh-huh. and the cheer he creates is sign, sign, cosine, sign. Three point one four one five nine. That's fabulous. Yeah, so we ate strawberry rhubarb pie. Yeah. It was good. As you're listening to this, pie day yeah. was two days ago. But when we as recorded, we're recording it, you know. it is pie day. Um, it was also, not only did we get pie today, um, we also got our first vaccination shot. Yeah, I got shot today. It was real fun. We got shot and ate pie. It's, you know, things happen. Yeah. Um, very grateful, very... Uh, emotional actually uh yeah. i've never been so emotional in a grocery store uh pharmacy in my life uh <laughs> so a huge thank you to everyone across the country and really across the world who's been putting in the time to get these vaccines yeah. n- not just ready for distribution but getting them delivered to pharmacies um, for pharmacies getting, doing it getting them scheduled thank you to the pharmacists and um, nurses and doctors and everyone who have been putting in the time to to give the injections and to get like this it's it's the work that needs to be getting done and of course a huge thank you to all of the volunteers who have been putting yeah. in hours and hours and hours and hours just like logging paperwork yeah and it's pretty and, amazing and um we feel very grateful and it, it kind of like, especially us in the entertainment industry and many other industries um, that have been completely shut down or altered, which is most, uh, it's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel as, as more and more people get this shot. So get signed up um, and uh, go get your vaccine and uh, we can all like, you know, get back to normal-ish and just eat pie instead of getting shots next next uh yeah i don't want to have to get shot in order to eat pie yeah yeah that's not cool though i i did it was like a celebratory we got <laughs> we got our shot because it was in a pharmacy in a grocery store and so we got our shot and i'm like we're going to get some pie so that's what we did and uh i'm not i'm not sad about it yeah it was good times uh, speaking of good times, we have a promo this week. I do believe we do. We do you want to you want to shout out to him? Yeah. Well, since ordinarily what happens is I say, "Do we have a promo?" and you answer. But I know. This time you brought up the promo, I so flipped, I guess I flipped it. We're, on. we're flipping the script. Um, but that's okay because yeah, this week we've got a promo for Breaking Down Bad Books podcast. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let host Nathan tell you a little bit about the podcast and then we'll chat about it afterwards. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. Following my breakdown of Stephanie Meyer's Twilight, I'll be digging deep into the raunchy Twilight fanfic turned erotic romance Fifty Shades of Grey. Although I'm not sure romance is the best word to use. Join me every Monday and Friday for chapter-by-chapter analysis of the book that Salman Rushdie said made Twilight look like war and peace. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or visit breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links and contact information. 
I have a feeling that it's gonna get awkward, but let's get through this together. Happy reading. <laughs> oh, the accent. Oh, my accent. My accent porn continues. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, as, as you heard from that little promo, uh, Nathan goes through books, reads them chapter by chapter, and breaks them down it's from a literary funny. perspective. We were listening to and him start uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Um, it's the worst book ever. He agrees. So uh, check out, uh, I, I believe he has done so far, he's on his second book. He started with Twilight <laughs> and did a chapter by chapter breakdown and then switched over to Fifty Shades of Grey, which began life as Twilight fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And he's now in the middle of breaking that down. Which I actually didn't um, know. I did not know that, know that until I was listening to that, and then I looked it up, and I went, oh, my God. Yeah, no, because that's real. basically the author of Fifty Shades of Grey was told, this is plagiarism. We can't publish this. So they went back and changed the names, and then they published it. Yeah. And I'm like, fucking, I need, mm-hmm. And that person is a, a millionaire now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, the, the, the show is uh, actually super interesting and mm-hmm. is a great way to go about um, reading and commenting on books that are not in the public domain. Yes. Because it's set up as because it's set up as criticism. All he has like he reads bits and pieces and then is able to summarize and criticize. It's kind of a summary. And like as someone who could not get through Fifty Shades of Grey, I actually bought it on like the dollar rack at some like drugstore one day (laughs) when I was doing summer stock. Because I'm like, well, this will be hilarious. I can like turn the pages and just read these scandalous, dirty dirty nasty like bdsm things and i bought it and that didn't work because it's so poorly written that i find nothing (laughs) about it intriguing or sexy so i uh i plan on listening to him break down 50 shades of gray so i will know the whole story and will have quote read the book but honestly i just heard him like make fun of it and that sounds like my jam so I'm I'm into it. So go check go check that out. Yeah. Uh as long as we're uh going about promoting our podcast friends. Ah, yes. Um we got to sit down and have a chat with Julia uh, with Julia from Figure, Figure It, it out. out podcast. We ah. had like a 30 minute chat. Uh she asked us to be on her show and we we had her promo on a couple weeks ago and we were like, "Oh, her her voice is so soothing and everything." And uh I will tell you right now, she is just as delightful if not more when you're actually just having a chat with her on Zoom. She's lovely and uh her episode will be coming out the same day as this episode. It, it actually dropped uh, an hour and a half before our episode dropped. So but figure it out, podcast. Um, we'll maybe plug in what uh, the the title is at some point. But oh, I'll put a I'll put a link to that along with a link notes. to um, the Breaking Down Bad Books podcast in the in the show notes. Yeah, so, so you can find we it. We just if you want to hear about where this podcast came from and stuff, she basically just asked us a little bit about us and. Uh, where this kooky idea came from and, and a little bit more. I mean, we, we got, we went all over the place. So yeah, go check it out. It was so much fun. It was, it was so much fun. It was delightful. Yeah. And we love, we love our podcast family. So huzzah. Yay for making new friends. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to hug my friends. Like so many <laughs> friends. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> we did get to hug the kitty for the first time. Yes. In- because so we've been you know, as if you've been listening you know we've been house sitting uh, a couple hours away for a friend and uh that pretty much wrapped up 
So we are now back in uh, my childhood bedroom, and uh, Kitty is sleeping in the corner by the the uh, Christmas tree that is still erect over there. <laughs> Good choice of words. Yep. I thought I'd throw erect in as much as possible. <laughs> I mean, we get ejaculation so many times in stories. I just yeah. keep the erect tree in the corner Yeah, <laughs> with a pussy sleeping underneath it. Oh. <laughs> We're off to a good start. When it's erect, you really don't want the pussy sleeping. Oh, no. Or that becomes illegal and complicated. We'll just leave that there. Oh. (laughs) So we came back, and we had a bunch of boxes here and stuff. And so I got, like, my FabFitFun box. If you want to sponsor us, you just let me know. Um, And we got, like... I got makeup that I'd ordered, and uh, we got our me undies. I'm just throwing out all the things that can possibly sponsor us. All of us. the businesses that might AA just drop, drop in us it, a but we cash. really actually do love those things. But what was most exciting is we actually got a delivery from Foggy Pines Bookstore, and any fans of Stephen Colbert, that's going to sound familiar. You want to like fill them in? So. Uh, on the the evening of the big game, whose name we cannot use because <laughs> the right. National Football League would sue us. The evening um, of the Puppy Bowl. <laughs> th- on the evening of the Puppy Bowl, uh, Stephen Colbert <laughs> ran a um, Puppy Bowl ad uh, <laughs> on his own show, like on the Late Show, because he, he did a live show after. Yeah, because yeah. and because actually running an ad during the game is prohibitively expensive, so he ran an ad that night, and he ran an ad for a bookstore in Boone, North Carolina, called Foggy Pine Books, and he ended up getting. A couple of big name celebrities. I mean, just go to Google and like YouTube the Foggy Pine Books Colbert ad. Um, Yeah, they so he basically like did a reach out and was like, I want to do this big game ad um, (laughs) commercial, um, but I want it to be for a small, uh, privately owned, independent business, like someone that needs help right now and actually needs advertisement as opposed to like, you know, Coca-Cola. Um, so uh, people submitted and this was the store that got won, won the big prize, I guess. Yeah. And so the commercial was delightful. And yeah, I had all these celebrities in it. And so we went to their website and it found out that you can do like a mystery box that the bookstore will put together for, like custom for you based on your interests and based on any kind of like requests you have so ken emailed them and basically was like we do this podcast and we read uh in public domain stories of like detective horror you know uh comedy whatever it is sci-fi mystery whatever you got and i purchased the 60 dollar mystery box and uh it arrived a few days ago but we only just got back and and got to open it today and it was delightful to check out the wide variety of things we've got two collections of horror stories Mm -hmm. one is classic horror stories and one is the best of 2019 uh we have it's it's called a moment on the edge and it's 100 years of crime short stories written by female authors Uh, so i'm really excited to dive into that one too and then there's uh a fourth book that is a You've got it right there. I'll let I you do. read it. I do. It's called Stories of Your Life and Others, and this is by Ted Chang. So, 
Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna check it out. Apparently, one of these stories is called "Story of Your Life," which is the basis for a major motion picture. Ooh. Oh, Arrival, the major motion picture Arrival. You didn't even know that his face just got so big. I didn't even know that. I love that movie. Well, there you go. All right. Oh, well, cool. Now he's even more excited. <laughs> cool. Anyway, thank you, Foggy Pines Books. Foggy Pine Books. Yeah. The pine There's is only one. singular. It's like the fir tree. There's only one. Yeah. The books are plural. The pine is singular. The fog is dense. <laughs> so it's foggy. It's not just foggish. It's yeah, foggy. it's foggy. Uh, and um, foggy pine, if you're listening and you want to use that slogan. Um, <laughs> actually, you know what? It's yours. <laughs> Take it. Take it. Just, you know, shout out to your customers Fo- about Campfire foggy, Classics. Foggy pine books where the books are multiple. The pine is singular and the fog is dense. <laughs> Hey, Colbert, if you're listening, <laughs> let us write the next big game ad. <laughs> All right, so let's jump in. Let's dive right in. Today's story, no. Today's author. We'll start with the author. Yeah, because I don't want a story yet. Um, Abraham Stoker. Like Brom Stoker. Hey! was born on November 8th, 1847, on the north side of Dublin, Ireland. He was an Irish... He's Irish? He's Irish, yeah. Well, how appropriate, because it's also St. Patty's Day week. Oh, yeah. I I love that you didn't even think of that. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, I know. That's why we're doing this story. (laughs) I didn't know he was Irish. All right. Yeah, so he's an Irish author, uh, best known today for being the author of possibly the most famous horror story and arguably the most famous story... In English literature, Dracula. What? However, during his lifetime, he was better known as the personal assistant to actor Sir Henry Irving and the business manager of Irving's theater, the Lyceum Theater in London. Oh, my God. We heard all about Henry Irving in, like, theater history. I didn't know his uh, assistant was, like, one of the most famous authors of all time. Yep. Well so, done, sir. Uh, so, today's fun fact. Everyone has to have a survival job. Everyone needs a survival <laughs> job. And his was being the personal and business manager of the most famous actor in the world. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. So, today's fun facts come to us from Wikipedia. Duh. Uh, Stoker's <laughs> obituary, which I am discovering is a surprisingly good source of information. Uh, the Trinity Writers section of the Trinity University website. Okay. And the Bram Stoker page on VictorianWeb.com. VictorianWeb.com. <laughs> so, let's rewind back to his birth. Okay. Uh, so, north side of Dublin. Uh, he was raised attending the Church of Ireland. Okay. His father was a senior civil servant, which means he was a government employee. Typically, civil servants, though, are hired for professional merit, not elected. But, like, okay. they're, they're hired on because the government is like, oh, you're good at this thing. You should work for us. So they hire them. Yeah. yeah. A, a government hire yeah. as opposed to an elected official. Yeah. Um, Stoker was a very sickly child right up until the age of seven, at which point, it seems, he made a complete recovery, got out of bed, and went to school. He's a vampire. <laughs> Um, There are a lot of theories, people saying, oh, it must have been this thing or it must have been that thing. But no one is 100% sure what was wrong with him or why it suddenly went away. I'm telling you right now, he's a freaking (laughs) vampire. He's not dead. (laughs) 
Um, Why, where do you think he got all these ideas? Why do you think he was an assistant to an actor? Because he needs to stay up all night. He needs to like, stay up all night. He doesn't um, get up in the day. Although, although speaking of where did he get all the ideas, later in life, he would, uh, he would claim that this time bedridden at an early age got him used to thinking in fantastic and unexpected ways. And the seeds of many of his later works were born during those first seven years when he was stuck in bed. When he had just nothing else to do. Yeah. Aww. So apparently he left his sickly youth far behind because at Trinity College, he was an accomplished multi-sport athlete earning university honors as like the university athlete. Wow. Yeah. All right. He was also auditor of the College Historical Society and president of the University Philosophical Society, where his first paper was on sensationalism in fiction and society. Okay. So basically, he was that really annoying triple A student that irritates everyone by being awesome at arts, athletics, and academics. Although uh, it seems that he was a, academically speaking, a very average student in terms of grades because, as is often the case, (laughs) he was more interested in his extracurriculars. Shocking. Never heard of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just sort of accidentally good at everything. Yep. What a dick. So after university, Bram Stoker became a theater critic for the Dublin Evening Post. Ah, theater critics. (laughs) Apparently, theater critics were to journalists what theater artists are to most people, which is to say not terribly highly regarded. Well, I would I would argue that theater critics to artists are not highly regarded. Yeah. Well, wait for it, because he um, despite being like lowest of the low, he's he's not even an actor. He's a theater critic. Um, he garnered high praise for the quality of his writing in his reviews. He wrote a positive review about a production of Hamlet and the show's star, Sir Henry Irving, invited him to dinner. And thus their friendship was born. They became very good friends. Brahm eventually named his only child Irving. Okay. And when Stoker eventually moved to London, he became Irving's acting manager and then the business manager for his theater, the Lyceum. He was the theater's manager for the next 27 years. Holy crap. All right. All because he wrote a good review of a production of Hamlet. Theater critics, if you're listening, when theater starts back up, just know if you praise us, Be nice we might people. hire you or something. <laughs> so... His friendship with the most famous actor of the time and his job running one of London's most successful theaters got him into London's high society. Thanks to this, he got to meet tons of other influential artists, including Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. All right. He also uh, traveled around the world, including to the United States, where he met one of his literary idols, Walt Whitman. Jeez. And he was twice invited to the White House and got to know Presidents William McKinley and Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, that's awesome. Um, All right. So he's doing okay. So he's doing okay. So he does have one major... um, personal flaw that would probably subject him to uh cancel culture today oh don't use the word cancel um, culture don't don't, <laughs> don't no but but you know like he he, he, had, he would have done something in his past that would be like yeah so okay. at one point he publicly called for the imprisonment of all homosexual authors in britain oh 
it has been suggested that this was due to his self-loathing and to disguise his own vulnerability. I was going to say, I think him and Irving were doing it. His largely estranged and sexless marriage, the homoeroticism in much of his work, the close relationship with his male friends, and his many shared interests with authors like Walt Whitman and Oscar Wilde, have led many historians and literary critics to believe he was himself a closeted homosexual I was and lashing out. Literally going to say that, like Irving and him went to dinner and then they became besties. Um, men can be friends with men, but I was like, uh, I have a feeling. And then you said that, so yeah, not not a great, but yeah, he was probably a deep, deep. Deep in the closet. Yeah. So there was lots of other information about him, uh, his many other writings, his time working as a civil servant himself. Mm-hmm. He, he did end up doing um, a, a, a stint with the government there. Um, but that's all I wanted to cover today because he's an interesting writer and I figure we'll probably read at least one or two more short yeah. stories from him. So today's story was recommended to us by Nathan from breaking down bad books podcast. Oh, uh, seriously. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He, he actually, uh, um, as, as we were talking, uh, about doing a promo for him, um, I uh, looked well, he, up on his lives, website. He's like and, a literature major, or something. and I found out that he uh, he's actually one of his one of the things he studied in college was English lit. And I was like, hey, um, so you know what our podcast is about? Do you have any short stories that you particularly like? And he recommended two. He said one of his favorites is the Telltale Heart. Okay. And the other one was uh, this story that was, as he pointed out, originally written to be the first chapter of Dracula, but was cut by the publishers before Dracula was published. They decided that it wasn't necessary and they were trying to, I guess, save space. Is this like backstory? So, So in 1914, two years after Stoker died... It was published as the title story in the collection Dracula's Guest and Other Weird Stories uh, to make matters even sort of more uh, incestuous to this particular episode, just putting layers on top of layers. You will be reading it out of one of the books we got from Foggy Pine Books called Classic Horror Tales. This, this is so pretty. This story is called Dracula's Guest. All right. Let's start this fire. I'm so excited. Dracula's Guest by Bram Stoker. When we started our drive, the sun was shining brightly on Munich, and the air was full of the joyousness of early summer. Just as we were about to depart, Air Dubruck. Oh, no, we're in Germany. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. Oh, no. A glorious summer day in Munich, Germany. (laughs) No, I'm I'm laughing because I'm going to have to now pronounce German words, and we we all know how that goes. Just as we were about to depart, Air Dubruck, the maitre d'hotel of the Quatre Saisons where I was staying. Okay, so the maitre d' of the hotel came down bareheaded to the carriage and after wishing me a pleasant drive said to the coachman still holding his hand on the handle of the carriage door remember you are back by nightfall the sky looks bright but there is a shiver in the north wind that says there may be a sudden storm 
but I am sure you will not be late. Here, he smiled and added, for you know what night it is. Yo. <laughs> oh, shit. That's menacing. Um, okay. I'd be like, yo, coachman, what's going hey, wh on? Uh, what, what night is it? What, what night is it? It was my birthday like a week ago. Like, are you That's guys not... throwing me a party? <laughs> is it a surprise party? Are we, what's? I bet it is a surprise party, but not one you want. <clears throat> Johan answered with an empathetic, ja, mein Herr, and touching his hat, drove off quickly. When we had cleared the town, I said, after signaling for him to stop, tell me, Johan, what is tonight? <laughs> so he's smart. He's right. Okay, at All least right. he's we asking like, the question. We like this protagonist Good. already because he's he's thinking like we are, which means something bad will probably happen. Yeah. He crossed himself as he answered laconically. 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 Damn. Laconic. So laconically is yeah. just the, yeah. But laconic. Using few words expressing much in few words, concise. Okay. All right. Briefly. He crossed himself as he answered laconically, will purges not. Then he took out his watch, a great old-fashioned German silver thing as big as a turnip, and looked at it with his eyebrows gathered together and a little impatient shrug from his shoulders. I realized that this was the way of respectfully protesting against the unnecessary delay and sank back into the carriage, merely motioning for him to proceed. <laughs> He's like, it's it's wampus night. Uh, okay. Can we, um, do you have, is that all? Okay. I'm supposed to be back by dark, dude. Like, brah, didn't you hear what I was just told? All right, so... So he's uh, a man of few words. Well, right. that's good. You won't have to use your German accent much. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> he started off rapidly, as if to make up for lost time. Every now and then the horses seemed to throw up their heads and sniffed the air suspiciously. On such occasion, I often looked round in alarm. The road was pretty bleak, for we were traversing in a sort of high, windswept plateau. As we drove, I saw a road that looked but little used and which seemed to dip through a little winding valley. It looked so inviting that even at the risk of offending him, I called Johan to stop. <laughs> and when he had pulled up, I told him I would like to drive down the road. He made all sorts of excuses and frequently crossed himself as we spoke. This somewhat piqued my curiosity, so I asked him various questions. He answered fencingly and repeatedly looked at his watch in protest. Finally, I said, Well, Johan, I want to go down this road. I shall not ask for you to come unless you like, but tell me why you do not like to go. That is all I ask. For answer, he seemed to throw himself off the box. So quickly did he reach the ground. <laughs> so here's something I have learned <laughs> this in, guy doesn't my talk. Years, in, in my years of experience with horrifying things in foreign nations. Um, uh, when, that's another episode. When a uh, small town Eastern European crosses himself repeatedly and then runs away at the first opportunity, follow him. You don't want to be there anymore. 
Then he stretched out his hands appealing to me and implored me not to go. There was just enough of English mixed with the German for me to understand the drift of his talk. He seemed always just about to tell me something, the very idea of which evidently frightened him, but each time he pulled himself up saying, as he crossed himself, well, purge is not. (laughs) I tried to argue with him, but it was difficult to argue with a man when I did not know his language. (laughs) I disagree. (laughs) It's just difficult to effectively just, argue yeah, when you, can, you don't know the language. I mean, language. you can always just argue, but... The advantage certainly rested with him, for although he began to speak in English of a very crude and broken kind, he always got excited and broke into his native tongue, and every time he did so, he looked at his watch. Then the horses became restless and sniffed the air. At this, he grew very pale and looked around in a frightened way. He suddenly jumped forward, took them by the bridles, and led them some twenty feet. I followed and asked why he had done this. For answer, he crossed crossed himself, himself, pointed to the spot we had left, and drew his carriage in the direction of the other road, indicating a cross, and said, first in German, then in English, buried him. Him what killed themselves. Creepy. Ew. I remember the old custom of burying suicides at crossroads. Ah, I see a suicide. How interesting. (laughs) That is not not the uh, accepted social response to that, but okay. For the life of me, I could not make out why the horses were frightened. Whilst we were talking, we heard a sort of sound between a yelp and a bark. It was far away, but the horses got very restless, and it took Johan all his time to quiet them. He was pale and said, It sounds like a wolf, but yet there are no wolves here. I've now given Johan a very strange accent. Yep, I like it. No, I said, questioning him. Isn't it long since the wolves were so near the city? Long, long, he answered. In the spring and summer, but with the snow... The wolves have been here not so long. Like the wolves Sounds don't to me like, like the snow? During the winter, they come closer to the city. But it's summer. It's right been now. a long time since they were here in the spring and summer, but come winter They're they're here. But it seems like it's summer. They wouldn't be like just wandering around the countryside in winter in Munich. Like no. Not not gonna do sightseeing at the pretty death cavern if it's winter <laughs> in Munich. <laughs> the pretty death cavern. Whilst he was petting the horses and trying to quiet them, dark clouds drifted rapidly across the sky. The sunshine passed away, and a breath of cold wind seemed to drift past us. It was only a breath, however, and more in nature of a warning than a fact, for the sun came out brightly again. Johann looked under his lifted hand at the horizon and said, "'The storm of snow!' He comes before long time. He looked at his watch again and straightway holding his reins firmly, for the horses were still pawing and ground restlessly and shaking their heads. He climbed to his box as though the time had come for proceeding on our journey. I felt a little obstinate and did not at once get into the carriage. Tell me, I said, about this place, where the road leads. And I pointed down. Again, he He crossed crossed himself himself. 
and mumbled a prayer. Dude, this is a bad sign. Just go home. Yeah, I mean, like, this is, if nothing else, you're stoking some, like, superstition in this person. It's making them uncomfortable. And you're like, he's just taking you to, like, the airport. (laughs) come on, dude. You're the narrator of a book. (laughs) You should know better. Well, he's like, but I'm the narrator of books, so I need a good story. So I gotta, (sighs) I gotta poke. Again, he crossed himself and mumbled a prayer before answering. It is unholy. What is unholy, I inquired. The village. Since, uh, nope, I mixed up the voices. What is unholy, I inquired. The village. The village. Then there is a village. No, no, no one lives there for hundreds of years. My curiosity was piqued. But you said there was a village. There was. What is there now? Whereupon he burst out into a long story in German and English, so mixed up that I could not quite understand exactly what he said. Thank God. But roughly, I gathered that long ago, hundreds of years, men had died there and been buried in their graves, and sounds were heard under the clay, and when the graves were open, men and women were found rosy with life and their mouths red with blood. Oh, no. And so, in haste to save their lives, I and their souls, and there he crossed himself. (laughs) Those who were left fled away to other places where the living lived and the dead were dead and not, not something. He was evidently afraid to speak the last words. As he proceeded with his narration, he grew more and more excited. It it seemed as if his imagination had got hold of him and he ended in a perfect paradoxum of fear, white-faced, perspiring, trembling and looking round him as if expecting some joyful not joyful as if expecting some dreadful presence that's a diff, that's a different very, word heather <laughs> very different word don't know why i said don't, joyful don't look particularly similar <laughs> certainly don't mean the same thing as if expecting that some dreadful presence would manifest itself there in the bright sunshine on the open plain finally in an agony of desperation, he cried, Well, purchase not! And pointed to the carriage for me to get in. <laughs> All my English blood rose at this, and standing back, I said, You are afraid, Johan. You are afraid. Get in the carriage, you dick! <laughs> oh, Lord. You colonizing don't, bastard. Get don't in the be carriage. snooty, Englishman. Yeah. It's going to get you in trouble. Mm hmm. You know this guy's going to die. The locals know their shit. Yep. Always trust the locals. Yeah, always listen. (laughs) You are afraid, Johan. You are afraid. Go home. I shall return alone. The walk will do me good. Oh, shit. (laughs) The carriage door was open. I took from the seat my oak walking stick, which I always carry on my holiday excursions. Good. That'll work like a stake. Yep. And closed the door pointing back to Munich, and said, Go home, Johann, while Purgis not doesn't concern Englishmen. <laughs> White people. <laughs> Xenophobic trash. Trash. <laughs> oh, you're about to find out. This is going to be great. 
The horses were now more restive than ever, and Johan was trying to hold them in while excitedly imploring me not to do anything so selfish. Not selfish. Foolish. I'm writing this story myself. <laughs> <laughs> I keep, like, putting in words that I want them to be, even though right in front of me it says something else. This is like, um, <laughs> it's like taking dyslexia the next step further. You're not swapping letters in a I'm word or in a sentence. You're just swapping the intention of the entire story. You're, yeah, you're just you're swapping the meaning of the paragraph. The horses were now more restive than ever, and Johan was trying to hold them in while excitedly imploring me not to do anything so foolish. I pitied the poor fellow. He was deeply in earnest, but all the same, I could not help laughing. His English was quite gone now. In his anxiety, he had forgotten that his only means of making me understand was to talk my language. So he jabbered away in his native German. Oh, yes. It's hilarious when bilingual people decide not to talk in your language. I know. I'm like, this is the In the one word. language that you speak. So you've upset this person. You've laughed in their face at their superstitions. And now you're like, stupid idiot. I don't speak your language. God. What a dillweed. <laughs> it began to be a little tedious. After giving the direction home, I turned to go down the crossroad into the valley. With a despairing gesture, Johan turned his horses towards Munich. Hell yeah, Johan. Get He's the like, hell out bye. of there. <laughs> I leaned on my stick and looked after him. He went slowly along the road for a while. Then there came over the crest of the hill a man, tall and thin. I could see so much in the distance. When he drew near the horses, they began to jump and kick about, then to scream with terror. Johan could not hold them in. They bolted down the road, running away madly. I watched them out of sight, then looked for the stranger but I found that he, too, was gone. ruh -row. With a light heart, I turned down the side road. <laughs> um, that's when I'm like, um, I, I better go check on Johan. <laughs> this guy needs to watch a horror movie and realize well, that there are rules. this is before movies. So, so there are no rules yet. He Bram Stoker wrote the rules. These are the rules. <sighs> You know how we saw Scream and like all the like those movies? These this is where they came from, everybody. Education. Look, we're educating. We're educating people. <laughs> With a light heart, I turned down the side road through the deepening valley to which Johan had objected. There was not the slightest reason that I could see for his objection. I dare say I trampled for a couple of hours without thinking of time or distance, and certainly without seeing a person or a house. So far as the place was concerned, it was desolation itself. But I did not notice this particularly till, on turning a bend in the road, I came upon a scattered fringe of wood— then I recognized that I had been impressed unconsciously by the desolation of the region through which I had passed. I sat down to rest myself and began to look around. It struck me that it was considerably colder than it had been at the commencement of my walk. A sort of sighing sound seemed to be around me 
with now and then high overhead, a sort of muffled roar. Yeah, that's not terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Looking upwards, I noticed that great thick clouds were drifting rapidly across the sky from north to south at a great height. There were signs of coming storm in some lofty stratum of the air. I was a little chilly, and thinking that it was the sitting still after all the exercise of walking, I resumed my journey. Yeah, I wouldn't sit still there very long. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> Keep moving. The ground I passed over was now much more picturesque. There were no striking objects that the eye might single out, but in all there was a charm of beauty. I took little heed of time, and it was only when the deepening twilight forced itself upon me that I began to think of how I should find my way home. Oh, <laughs> no. Waited until dark to think, hmm, somehow... I'm going to have to get back home. The brightness of the day had gone. The air was cold, and the drifting of clouds high overhead was more marked. They were accompanied by a sort of faraway rushing sound, through which seemed to come in intervals that mysterious cry which the driver had said came from a wolf. That's not good. Even if, even if a wolf is all you run into, that's, that's not good. That's still not a great night. Nope. For a while, I hesitated. No, don't move. Don't stop. <laughs> I had said I would see the deserted village, so I went and presently came on a wide stretch of open country, shut in by hills all around. Their sides were covered with trees which spread down to the plain, dotting in clumps the gentler slopes and hollows which showed here and there. I followed with my eye and winding of the road, and saw that it curved close to one of the densest of clumps and was lost behind it. As I looked, there came a cold shiver in the air, and the snow began to fall. I thought of the miles and miles of bleak country I had passed, and then hurried on to seek the shelter of the wood in front. Darker and darker grew the sky, and faster and heavier fell the snow, till the earth before and around me was a glistening white carpet, the further edge of which was lost in misty vagueness. The road was here but crude, and when on the level of its boundaries were not so marked as when I passed through the cuttings, and in a little while I found that I must have strayed from it, for I missed underfoot the hard surface, Uh-oh. and my feet sank deeper into the grass and moss. Dude. Oh, he is so fucked. Then the wind grew stronger and blew with ever-increasing force, till I was fain to run before it. The air became icy cold, and it spit of my exercise I began to suffer. The snow was now falling so thickly and whirling around me in such rapid eddies that I could hardly keep my eyes open. Every now and then the heavens were torn asunder by vivid lightning. Oh my God, it's thunder snow. This is the scene where Maurice wanders into the beast's castle. I know. Castle. I was actually thinking that earlier with the wolves and like this guy. <laughs> 
Is this maybe that's why it was cut because it, it was the wrong story? Because well, because it was too derivative. They're like, this is Beauty and the Beast. This, this has already happened. Like, come on, come on. Actually, I don't know if Beauty and the Beast was written before Dracula or not. I also have no idea how closely because I don't know the original story. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how closely the Disney movie. Stuck I'm pretty to, sure like Dad um, wanders into a forest. I don't know if wolves attack. Disney does love a good wolf. A, a, good, a good wolf, wolf attack. Fight. Yeah. A good. It well, loves to kill off parents and attack things with wolves. wolves. Disney. Wolves make impressive bad guys. Like, they're nice and scary looking. Well, they're fun to animate. Mm-hmm. And they're scary, and it, like, teaches kids not to play with wolves, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> These are not puppies. They are wolves. The secret mission of Disney all along <laughs> was to keep kids from adopting wolf pups. <laughs> Every now and then the heavens were torn asunder by vivid lightning, and in flashes I could see ahead of me a great mass of trees, chiefly yew and cypress, all heavily coated with snow. I was soon amongst the shelter of the trees, and there, in comparative silence, I could hear the rush of the wind high overhead. Presently the blackness of the storm had become merged in the darkness of the night, By and by, the storm seemed to be passing away. It now only came in fierce puffs or blasts. As such moment, at such moments, the weird sound of the wolf appeared to be echoed by many similar sounds around me. Now and again, through the black mass of drifting cloud, came a straggling ray of moonlight which lit up the expanse and showed me that I was at the edge of a dense mass of cypress and yew trees. Well, yes. Yes, you already said that. Oh, he's already hallucinating. He's dehydrated. He's just confirming that he was right. Okay. That's something to hold on to. Yeah. Like, okay, there are wolves everywhere. I can't see anything through the snow. I'm looking for this village that my guide seems to think is cursed with, like, dead people who who aren't dead. But at least I can recognize trees. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta grasp at the smallest things. So yes. As the snow had ceased to fall, I walked out from the shelter and began to investigate more closely. It appeared to me that, amongst so many old foundations as I had passed, there might be still standing a house in which, though in ruins, I could find some sort of shelter for a while. As I skirted the edge of the copse, copse, it looks like corpse without the R. Yep. C-O-P-S-E. Copse, a small group of trees. Okay, nice. Lovely. As I skirted the edge of the copse, I found that a low wall encircled it and followed this I, and following this, I presently found an opening. Here the cypresses formed an alley leading up to a square mass of some kind of building. Just as I caught sight of this, however, the drifting clouds obscured the moon, and I passed up the path in darkness. The wind must have grown colder, for I felt myself shiver as I walked. But there was hope of shelter, and I groped my way blindly. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a ghost that just moved through you, that's all. It's, and so he get, started groping it. It didn't get colder. You shivered because a ghost moved through you, and then you... And then you groped, groped it blindly. You groped the ghost. That's not... This is going to end very badly. <laughs> you just... you rude. just Always rude. ask consent, I mean, dude. though, the ghost did enter him. 
without consent. Without consent. So I guess it's they're they're mutually unconsenting right now. All right, great. I stopped, for there was a sudden stillness. The storm had passed, and perhaps in sympathy with nature's silence, my heart seemed to cease to beat. Oh no. But this was only momentary, for suddenly the moonlight broke through the clouds, showing me that I was in a graveyard. No! No! Oh, that's unfortunate. For suddenly the moonlight broke through the clouds, showing me that I was in a graveyard, and that the square object before me was a great massive tomb of marble, as white as the snow that lay on the ground all around it. With the moonlight, there came a fierce sigh of the storm, which appeared to resume its course with a long, low howl, as of many dogs or wolves. It's not good. I was awed and shocked and felt the cold perceptibly grow upon me till it seemed to grip me by the heart. Then, while the flood of the moonlight still fell on the marble tomb... The storm gave further evidence of renewing, as though it was returning on its track. Impelled by some sort of fascination, I approached the sepulchre to see what it was, and why such a thing stood alone in such a place. I walked around it and read over the dork door in German, Countess Dorligen of Graz, in Styria, sought and found death, 1801. <laughs> oh, no. All right. All right. I'm going to point out um, two things about the last couple of sentences. It gets that, worse. That, that make me angry. It gets worse. Uh, the first is that apparently he reads German just fine, <laughs> but he couldn't talk to Johan in German. The second is that things got real dark. He got lost in the snow. He stumbled his way into a graveyard surrounded by wolf howls. And instead of leaving the graveyard, he, he went, approached hmm, the grave. I'm going to go check out this gravestone. He's smart like a two by four. On the top of the tomb, seemingly driven through the solid marble, for the structure was composed of a few vast blocks of stone, was a great iron spike or stake. On going to the back, I saw graven in Russian letters... The dead travel fast. Well, that's eerie. <laughs> that's not good. That's also, some 28 days later shit. <laughs> you also read Russian? I know. He's very well uh, versed in other cultures. So long as it doesn't require him to communicate with another human being. That sounds about Apparently, right. Apparently he's just a dick <laughs> when it comes to other people. There was something so weird and uncanny about the whole thing that it gave me a turn and made me feel quite faint. I began to wish for the first time that I had taken Johan's advice. For the first I time? I feel like that group of teenagers in the movie theater who won't stop yelling at the the people like, No, don't go in the don't basement. Don't go up the stairs. What the hell's don't wrong with you? Don't go up the no, stairs. No, stay together. Yeah. No. And I'm just doing that right now. Well, like, and we on, have to remember, these were, this is where the rules were written. So. Yeah. Here a thought struck me, which came under almost mysterious circumstances and with a terrible shock. This was Walpurgis night. <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't he say that like six times? Well, Purgis night when, according to the belief of millions of people, the devil was abroad. 
When the graves were opened and the dead came forth and walked. Wait a second. So he knows what Walpurgis Night is. He ignored this guy. And this dude said it must have been five times. Maybe his heavy German accent that I did so well he couldn't understand. (laughs) When all evil things of earth and air and water held revel, this very place the driver had specifically shunned. This was the depopulated village of centuries ago. This was where the suicide lay. And this was the place where I was alone, unmanned, shivering with cold in a shroud of snow with a wild storm gathering again upon me. It took all my philosophy, all the religion I had been taught, all my courage not to collapse in a paroxysm of fright? Paroxysm? Paroxysm. Ooh, I'm going to use this in fucking Scrabble. That's a good word. A random or sudden outburst. Okay. Not to collapse in a paroxysm of fright. All right. And now a perfect tornado burst upon me. The ground shook as though thousands of horses thundered across it. And this time the storm bore on its icy wings, not snow, but great hailstones, which drove with such violence that they might have come from the throngs of the Balearic slingers. Hailstones that beat down leaf and branch, that made the shelter of the cypresses of no more avail than though their stems were standing corn. At the first I had rushed to the nearest tree, but... I was soon fain to leave it and seek the only spot that seemed to afford refuge, the deep Doric doorway of the marble tomb. There, crouching against the massive bronze door, I gained a certain amount of protection from the beating of the hailstones, for now they only drove against me as they ricocheted off the ground in the side of the marble. As I leaned against the door... It moved slightly and opened inwards. (laughs) Oops. The shelter of even a tomb was welcome in this pitiless tempest, and I was about to enter it when there came a flash of forked lightning that lit up the whole expanse of the heavens. In the instant, as I am a living man, I saw, as my eyes were turned into the darkness of the tomb, a beautiful woman with rounded cheeks and red lips, seemingly sleeping on a briar. As the thunder broke overhead, I was grasped by the hand of a giant and hurled out into the storm. What? The whole thing was so sudden that before I could realize the shock, moral as well as physical, I found the hailstones beating me down. At the same time, I had a strange dominating feeling that I was not alone. Well, no, a giant hand just (laughs) grabbed you. I looked towards the tomb. Just then, there came another blinding flash, which seemed to strike the iron stake that surmounted the tomb and to pour through the earth, blasting and crumbling the marble as in a burst of flame. The dead woman rose for a moment of agony while she lapped in the flame, and her bitter scream of pain was drowned in the thunder crash. The last thing I heard was this mingling of a dreadful sound, as again I was seized in the giant grasp 
and dragged away while the hailstones beat on me, and the air around seemed reverberant with the howling of wolves. The last sight that I remembered was a vague, white, moving mass, as if all the graves around me had sent out the phantoms of their sheeted dead, and that they were closing in on me through the white cloudlessness of the driving hail. Dot, 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 dot. We got those little asterisks. So time time passes. passes. We'll put in a cute musical cue here. Yeah, it'll be something adorable. Um, probably something that like Bugs Bunny would have sung. Yeah, like a like a. Um, Hello, I my got- baby. Hello, my honey. <laughs> Hello, my ragtime gal. That one. Yeah, I like that. Or um, kill the wabbit. Kill the wabbit. No, even that's too much on it because like there, there's some scary going on. I I like I like uh, I like that. Or like, we're animaniacs, fiddle of it. Wherever we go, whatever, whatever we, we do. do. <laughs> oh shit, I'm alone, I don't like this. Da, da, da. Maybe we'll just play Moonlight Sonata under this entire there you story. Go. There you go. Gradually, there came a sort of vague beginning of consciousness, then a sense of weariness that was dreadful. For a time, I remembered nothing, but slowly my senses returned. My feet seemed positively racked with pain, yet I could not move them. They seemed to be numbed. There was an icy feeling at the back of my neck and all down my spine and my ears, like my feet were dead yet in torment, but there was in my breast a sense of warmth, which was, by comparison, delicious. It was as a nightmare. A physical nightmare, if one may use such an expression, for some heavy weight on my chest made it difficult for me to breathe. This period of semi-lethargy seemed to remain a long time, and as it faded away I, I must have slept or swooned. Then came a sort of loathing, like the first stage of seasickness, and a wild desire to be free from something, I knew not what. A vast stillness enveloped me, as though all the world were asleep or dead, only broken by the low panting of some animal close to me. I felt a warm rasping at my throat. Then came a consciousness of the awful truth, which chilled me to the heart and sent the blood surging up through my brain. Some great animal was lying on me and now licking my throat. Holy shit! That's unsettling. I feared to stir, for some instant of prudence bade me lie still, but the brute seemed to realize that there was now some change in me, for it raised its head. Through my eyelashes, I saw above me the two great flaming eyes of a gigantic wolf. Its sharp white teeth gleamed in the gaping red mouth and I could feel its hot breath fierce and it cried upon me. For another spell of time I remembered no more. Then I became conscious of a low growl followed by a yelp renewed again and again. Then seemingly far away I heard hala hala as many voices called in unison. Cautiously, I raised my head and looked in the direction whence the sound came, but the cemetery blocked my view. 
The wolf still continued to yelp in a strange way, and a red glare began to move round the grove of cypresses, as though following the sound. As the voices grew closer, the wolf yelped faster and louder. I feared to make either sound or motion. Nearer came the red glow over the white pall which stretched into the darkness around me. Then, all at once, from beyond the trees, there came at a trot a troop of horsemen bearing torches. Johan came to save the day, y'all! I saw one of the horsemen, soldiers by their caps and their long military cloaks, raise his carabine? Carabine? Carbine? Carbine. A gun. It's a gun. Okay. His, carab- his carabiner. His carabiner. Yeah, he's going to go rock climbing later. Yeah. <laughs> it's Well, it's what he keeps his keys attached to. Oh, okay. Well, he's he's going to come unlock the cemetery. Oh, good. Okay, great. Raise his carbine and take aim. A companion knocked at his arm and heard the ball whiz over my head. He had evidently taken my body for that of the wolf. Another sighted the animal as it slunk away and a shot followed. Then, at a gallop, the troop rode forward, some toward me and the others followed the wolf as it disappeared amongst the snow-clad cypresses. As they drew nearer, I tried to move but was powerless, although I could see and hear all that went on around me. Two or three of the soldiers jumped from their horses and knelt beside me. One of them raised my head and placed his hand over my heart. Good news, comrades, he cried. His heart still beats. And I thought, oh, thank God, my heart's still beating. I (laughs) wasn't sure. I still don't know what the fuck happened. Uh, This has been a weird day. You people should really put out Walpurgis night warning signs. Yeah, be like, no, really. Like, Like, this actually happens. Then some brandy was poured down my throat. (laughs) Yep. I love Germans. (laughs) Like, oh, his heart's still beating. Liquor him up. Then some brandy was poured down my throat. It put vigor into me, and I was able to open my eyes fully and look around. Lights and shadows were moving amongst the trees, and I heard men call to one another. They drew together, uttering frightened exclamations, and the lights flashed as the others came pouring out of the cemetery pell-mell like men possessed. When the further ones came close to us, those who were around me asked them eagerly, Well, have you found him? The reply rang out hurriedly, No, no, come away, quick, quick, this is no place to stay, and on this of all nights... Right? That's what we've been saying. What was it? Was the question asked in all manners of keys. The answer came variously and all indefinitely as though the men were moved by some common impulse to speak, yet were restrained by some common fear from giving their thoughts. So just like Johan. Yep. It, it, indeed, gibbered one, whose wits had plainly given out for the moment. (laughs) (laughs) A wolf, yet not a wolf. Another put in shudderingly. No, no use trying for him without the sacred bullet, a third remarked in a more ordinary manner. Serves us right for coming out in this night. Truly, we have earned our thousand marks. Were the ejaculations of a fort. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> this book just went from, like, awesome to even better. Well... 
the fourth just ejaculated on Mulpurgis night. You know, I have heard that for some people, fear is a trigger. Uh, yeah, he got really turned on by the sexiness of this uh, fear, this terror. Yes, hot. Or maybe he's just super into wolves. Or, or he's really turned on my money because he just said we have truly earned our thousand marks. Were the ejaculations of a fourth? He yep. goes, I am so rich. <laughs> there was a blood on the broken marble, another said after a pause. The lightning never brought that there. And for him, is he safe? Look at his throat. See, comrades, the wolf has been lying on him and keeping his blood warm. The officer looked at my throat and replied, He is all right. The skin is not pierced. What does it all mean? We should have never found him if not for the yelping of the wolf. What became of it? asked the man who was holding up my head and who seemed the least panic-stricken of the party, for his hands were steady and without tremor. On his sleeve was a chevron of a petty officer. So he was a low officer. Yep. So he he doesn't know yet. He hasn't he hasn't he don't know enough to be afraid yet. Either that, or he's seen too much. Or he is a vampire. Or he's a vampire. It went to its home, answered the man, whose long face was pallid, and who actually shook with terror as he glanced around him fearfully. There are graves enough here in which it may lie. Come, comrades, come quickly. Let us leave this cursed spot. The officer raised me to a sitting posture as he uttered a word of command. Then several men placed me upon a horse. He sprang to the saddle behind me, took me in his arms, gave the word to advance, and turning our faces away from the cypresses, we rode away in swift military order. As yet my tongue refused its office, and I was perforce silent. I must have fallen asleep. For the next thing I remembered was finding myself standing up, supported by a soldier on each side of me. It was almost broad daylight, and to the north a red streak of sunlight was reflected like a path of blood over the waste of snow. The officer was telling the men to say nothing of what they had seen, except that they found an English stranger guarded by a large dog. "'Dog! That was no dog!' cut in the man who had exhibited such fear. "'I think I know a wolf when I see one.' The young officer answered calmly, "'I said a dog.' "'Dog!' reiterated the other ironically. It was evident that his courage was rising with the sun, and pointing to me, he said, "'Look at his throat! Is that the work of a dog, master?' Instinctively, I raised my hand to my throat, and as I touched it, I cried out in pain. The men crowded round to look, some stooping down from their saddles, and again there came the calm voice of the young officer. A dog, as I said. If aught else were said, we should only be laughed at. I was then mounted behind <laughs> I was then mounted <laughs> behind a trooper. <laughs> Oh, no, now he's in some military sex ring. Yeah, it might be. (laughs) I was then mounted behind a trooper, and we rode on into the suburbs of Munich. Here we came across a stray carriage into which I was lifted and was driven off to the Quatre Saisons, 
The young officer accompanying me, whilst a trooper followed with his horse, and the others rode off to their barracks. When we arrived, Herr Dubrick rushed so quickly down the steps to meet me that it was apparent he had been watching within. Taking me by both hands, he solicitously led me in. The officer saluted me and was turning to withdraw when I recognized his purpose and insisted that he should come to my rooms. Over a glass of wine, I warmly thanked him and his brave comrades for saving me. He replied simply that we, he was more than glad and that Herr Dubrick had taken the first steps to make all the searching party pleased, at which ambiguous utterance the maitre d'hôtel smiled while the officer pleaded duty and withdrew. But Herr Dubrick, I inquired, how and why was it that the soldiers searched for me? He shrugged his shoulders as if in depreciation? Depreciation? Yeah, depreciation. A reduction of value or asset with the passage of time. So, so basically, what, what is it? A depreciation uh, of his own deeds? He shrugged his shoulders as if in depreciation of his own deed. Yeah. So, so like, I, like, eh, it was yeah, nothing. It was, it was no nothing. Deal. Got it. He shrugged his shoulders as if in depreciation of his own deed. That's German he, for ain't no thing but a chicken wing, mamacita. <laughs> I, oh, that's weird. Southern's weird. <laughs> Ain't nothing but a chicken wing, Mama Cita. All right. Uh, he shrugged his shoulders as if in depreciation of his own deed. As he replied, I was so fortunate as to obtain leave from the commander of the regiment in which I served to ask for volunteers. But how did you know I was lost? He asked. The driver came hither with the remains of his carriage, which had been upset when the horses ran away. Johan. It was Johan. Yep. But surely you would not send a search party of soldiers merely on this account. Oh, no, he answered. But even before the coachman arrived, I had this telegram from the boyer whose guest you are. And he took from his pocket a telegram, which he handed to me. And I read. Bistritz. Be careful of my guest. His safety is most precious to me. Should aught happen to him, or if he be missed, spare nothing to find him and ensure his safety. He is English and therefore adventurous. <laughs> there are often dangers from snow and wolves at night. Lose not a moment if you suspect harm to him. I answer your zeal with my fortune. Signed, Dracula. As I held the telegram in my hand, the room seemed to whirl around me, and if the attentive maitre d'hôtel had not caught me, I think I should have fallen. There was something so strange in all of this, something so weird and impossible to imagine, that there grew on me a sense of my being in some way the sport of opposite forces. The mere vague idea of which seemed in a way to paralyze me. I was certainly under some form of mysterious protection. From a distant country had come, in the very nick of time, a message that took me out of the danger of the snow sleep 
and the jaws of the wolf. The end. So wait, so Dracula is Air Dubrick? No. No. No, no, no. Shortly before he realized that our narrator had gone missing, yeah. Herr Delbrick received a telegram from this guy that our narrator is supposed to be staying with. And it says, this guest that is coming to me Do is, not very, let is very important to me. Don't let anything happen to him. Is it what's his face? Um, uh, uh, because we never hear this guy's name. Are, are you are you thinking of uh, Van Helsing? Yes, Van Helsing. I don't think he's Van Helsing. Okay. I think he might be Jonathan uh, Har- oh, Harker. Yes, Harker. Harker, yes. I think it's Harker. That, that makes sense. Okay. Oh, fuck. Well, that's fun. Yeah. That is intriguing. That, what a crazy night. And then he still ends up going to Transylvania. Good for him. Well, I'd be like, mm, I'm done adventuring. I'm going home. Well, I don't know because the guy he's supposed to see, he like a mysterious, a mysterious letter shows up from Transylvania saying, Hey, That's, uh, if my dear friend is in trouble, you need to protect his ass. And I will pay you whatever I, it costs. I, I might show up and say, thank you. That's, that is true. He's in, he's intriguing him. Hey, thank uh, you. Nathan, Nathan, thank you for recommending that. That was freaking fantastic. That was cool. Yeah, I I love that that was like... Ten points. I love that that was supposed to be the first chapter of the book. Yeah. And Foggy Pine Books, thank you for sending us that book. This book is it, beautiful. We're going to put a picture of it on like our Patreon and on our... Uh, on the website like, and whatnot. Uh, yeah, because it's just a beautiful book. It um, actually is soft. But that, that book arriving just happened to coincide with a recommendation of, of that story uh, and that the timing was great. It's so, meant to be. That was like you. fate falling into place. Um, maybe Dracula set it all up. Maybe we're... Oh, shit. And the storm outside? Does Dracula now live in Boone, North Carolina? He might. (laughs) I don't love that. Guys, if we become vampires, and Ken and I have discussed this, if one of us becomes a vampire, we're going to turn the other one. We're both turning, Because we're going in. Um, Because, you know, why not? Hey, Craig. Um, it's his brother. My brother who lives in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Hey, Craig, if you have made it this far into the episode, could you take a little road trip to Boone, check out Foggy Pine Books, and just make sure that it's not a front for a vampire coven? Thanks. I'd really appreciate that. Can you do that? Any? Can you can you just do that and, like, videotape it? That'd be fabulous. <laughs> anyway, yay. I like that one. That was right. fun. So uh, if you enjoyed that story, um, then please uh, keep listening. Tell a friend. Uh, we have a website. It's campfireclassicspodcast.com. Simple. Uh, we also have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok that I occasionally use. Um, and, you know, like, seriously, the most the most we can ask is that if you like that, share it with a friend and tell more people. Because the more people we get, the more likely we're going to get, like, MeUndies and, like, FabFitFun to sponsor yeah. us. And if you enjoyed us enough to like want to buy us a cup of coffee because we do function on coffee and wine um then you have that option on the website and you can also become a patron and if you become a patron if we get five patrons before april 
Yep, by the end of the month. Ken is going to do a sexy uh, animal-themed... It's basically going to be a furry calendar. It, except you won't be wearing furry costumes. You'll be wearing, <laughs> wearing little because he said he will do a calendar in which he is wearing like sexy versions of Halloween costumes like like girls do in college. If we actually want anyone to sign up for Patreon for that, we're going to have to make that announcement at the beginning of the next episode. We're going to do it. I'm going to do it. I, I don't think anyone listens this deep. Is anyone still listening? If you're still listening, just send us an email um, at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com saying furry. <laughs> just the one word, furry. <laughs> All right, we're done. Uh, that was lovely. Uh, hey, did you know that the character of Van Helsing, Bram Stoker named him after himself? Van Helsing's first name is Abraham. Bram Aww. is short for Abraham. Well, look at that. He made himself the hero of the story. He made story. himself the hero of his I own mean, story. I mean, damn right. That's the way you As should As you do should it. be. Everyone should be the hero of their own story. I hope you, listener, are the hero of your own story. And on that note, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. <laughs> that was me biting, biting your neck. Is that what that was? I don't know what that was. I thought that was a wolf having an aneurysm. It was a wolf ejaculating. <laughs> <laughs>